I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer um, for the Dallas Cowboys. America's team. God's team. Yeah, we need prayer today because the 49ers, those guys are good. Those guys are good. And I just want to say this. If you're a Cowboy fan or a 49er fan, your team has a better chance to win if you go to 242 small group. Okay, so there's just like more favor on your team. If you skip, bad luck is to your team. They are under the curse. Yeah, it's a good week to open up with the Dallas Cowboys because I'm talking about ungodly alliances, right? Yeah, that's not a godly team or a, you know, godly franchise at all. But hey, they're, 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 they're my team. So um, hopefully they'll do well today. You can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And the title of my message today is Reset Your Alliances. I want to remind you that a reset can take a couple of forms. It can be this explosive, fast, energetic reset. And that's a lot of times where our minds instantly go to. Or as it often is, a reset is a gentle process. As if a broken bone is being set back in place. And so if God is resetting things in your life, don't feel like, it has to be a dramatic, fast, quick change. It could be, and it could be that. And I love those stories, but it may be this slow, gentle, loving process. And I want you to know this today. The Lord loves you today and the Lord loves you. And when we look at scripture and even look at scriptures that challenge us, it's an expression of God's love. We know this, that a good father, a good mother, a good leader doesn't just tell us what we want to hear, right? That, that's, just, you know, that's just someone being nice. A good leader tells us what we need to hear. And, and I see in the scripture that God is speaking life to us and telling us who we are. Books like the book of Ephesians, which we read from uh, in our prayer today, just reminds us of who we are in Jesus, and, and that is so good. But the Bible also corrects today, and he corrects us. And this reset has just been a good way to move into a new era of our lives and say, God, the things that we have, we want to reset them from your perspective. And I, I just believe this is, this is a sermon series, and these are messages that have power and anointing on them to really make a difference. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, starting with verse 14. Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial, or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, and he starts now a summary of Old Testament scripture, I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. We'll stop there for today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when we, we think about, when we think about this resetting, 
I'm going to give you five different alliances that I want you to consider resetting. This scripture, the tone I see of it, both just from the whole the whole passage or the, the whole letter to the second in Second Corinthians, and also to just the language text. It's not like this deep revelation. Revelation. He's saying, saying, I'm going to tell you something that is not obvious. He's actually saying, Hey, let's think about this. Let's use common sense. How can you partner with unbelievers? Because light and darkness don't go together, and and God. And the spirit of Christ doesn't go with Belial. Now, look again there in, in uh, ver- verse 15. Belial, this is an interesting word. The King James Version, which is you know, what, what people, Christians, use for years and years, used the term Belial many, many times in the Old Testament. And then the NIV, the CSB, the New American Standard kind of gave us the explanation instead of saying Belial. And we won't look at all those scriptures today. But what this meant is this meant wickedness. This meant people who were really turned away from the plan of God. And here's this obvious question is, what agreement does Christ have with Belial? What agreement does Christ have with, with people who are wicked, not interested, not struggling in their faith, not, you know, not um, having a difficult year or a difficult era, but people who are opposed to the message of Jesus Christ. What kind of alliance is there? God's calling us to reset our alliances. And the question is, the question is, what does it mean to be out of agreement? Well, I want to share with you one of the strangest scriptures that you'll ever read or that I will ever share at least. There's a lot of weird scriptures, just being honest with you. But this is one of those. Deuteronomy 22.10. Let's put that up there. It says, do not plow. Is that up there? Deuteronomy 22.10. All right, didn't make it. It didn't make it to the media today. I don't know how that happened. This may be a problem today. So listen to this. Deuteronomy 22.10. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Man, that's, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Maybe, I don't know. Do not plow with an ox and donkey together. Now, how many of you have a plaque with that scripture at your house? No? <laughs> so, yeah, it's one of those odd Old Testament scriptures, but it has a lot of meaning to understand 2 Corinthians chapter 6. First of all, uh, when the donkey is unclean and the ox is clean. So that's ceremonial law. But more importantly and more logically for us is the donkey and the ox have a different step and a different pace. And therefore, they have a different yoke. Got to explain this a little further because not all of you are farmers, not many of you are farmers. But this different yoke, what an obvious example this was uh, for the people who first heard this. Because they're working with animals all the time. They're working with yokes all the time. This is so obvious. You wouldn't have a donkey and an ox work together because they have different pace. They have different strength. And so it would cause more disruption than it would help. This is a word picture for us as we begin to look at partnerships and alliances in our life. And so Jesus said something that has become familiar to us, but now I think it will have even more meaning. 
In Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30, he said, take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Now listen to this, verse 30 of Matthew 11. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what this means? That when you partner with Jesus, it's just the right fit. It's just the right pace. You're moving together. When you're partnering and aligning with the things of God, you're moving together just as God wants you to do and and you're doing exactly what God wants you to accomplish. So let's talk about these five different alliances. Here's the first one. And the first one is an alliance that you're likely not to reset. I'm asking you to reset some alliances, but here's the first one is number one, your covenant alliance. And we're going to call this more specifically marriage, your covenant alliance in marriage. And the first thing I want to say is I don't want some of you to say, oh, this is a great sermon. Reset alliances. I'm out of my marriage. I'm out of my covenant. That's the beautiful thing about marriage. The beautiful thing about marriage is before the Lord, we don't take an out. Now I'll say this, please, if you're being abused, don't stay in an abusive relationship. Marriage fidelity is God's plan and will. So infidelity causes great evaluations whether that covenant can remain. But if you're just going through a rough time, and I know that that can be painful, and I'm not, limit, not saying just a rough time, but if it's, if it's a difficult time for you, don't listen to the narrative of culture that says you have a way out. That's a contract. That's not a covenant. That's not, that's not how God has designed marriage. I've been married 24 years, and, and Beth and I have a great romance, and and we love to celebrate that. And so for those of us, for those of you who have known us um, on social media, we've got a plethora of selfies, man. I mean, it, I mean, there's just uh, selfies through the years because we love to be seen together and we love to project that. But if you know us, we've had some rough times in our marriages. We've been to marriage counseling. We've had times where we've wanted to quit. And now 24 years into it, it's such a good thing. Such a good thing for our three adult kids now, for our church family. It's such a good thing that, that we did the work to stay in the covenant. I want to say this right now because I don't want people to wrongly think when we're saying reset your alliances, that you have the option to do that in a, in a marriage covenant when there's not abuse or infidelity. That's, that's not the Lord's plan. Now, the scripture I'm wanting to share, but I don't know if it'll be there because it's Malachi chapter two. Do we have Malachi chapter two? We do have that one. Thanks be to God. All right, we got that. Now, this is a tough scripture, but we need to, read, we need to hear a tough scripture today. The people of God was wondering why the blessings of God were not on them. And so the Lord gave a whole list of things. But then he said this in Malachi chapter two, verse 13. There's another thing you do. You are covering the Lord's altar with tears. So these are good professional Christians. These are Pentecostals who know how to cry at the altar with weeping and groaning because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. Verse 14, and you ask why? Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted 
treacherously against her. Now look at this line here. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant, not by contract, by covenant. And didn't God make them one or give them a portion of spirit? And what is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. So let's allow the truth of scripture to feed the good things in our life today, the good things that we need, that there's something powerful about covenant and where you find yourself now before the Lord. Stay in that covenant, honor that covenant. And then for singles, I I want, as God may call you to marriage, he may call you to singleness, but you're, you're to honor the covenant of marriage because part of the reason why their marriages break up is not just because married people don't honor covenants, but because single people don't recognize covenants and don't honor other married people's covenants. So that's the first alliance I, wanted, I want to remind you about this morning and ask that the Lord would speak to you this morning and just remind you of truth today. Now, here's some other alliances that I want you to consider. Here's number two, the physical alliances you have. And specifically, neighbors. I want you to write that down. Let's talk about our neighbors. That Now in this era of cocooning that really has started since uh, the end of World War II with with the, the idea of planned communities and everyone having individual houses and that has just continued to grow that the more connectivity we have in the world, the less connectivity we often have in our neighborhoods. What I want you to see here is that, because I'm trying to see this in my life too, that the Lord geographically placed us in unique places. I believe that for traveling nurses. That's something that here in the 20s has started. Traveling nurses. We've had people come in here on Sunday say, well, I'm just here for two weeks. I'm passing through. I wanted to come to a church. We've had people who've been part of our church for years travel all over the country. And that's a new kind of economic reality in healthcare. But God is watching over that. God is watching our going and our coming back. God is watching over our neighborhoods. God is watching over the placement of people beside you, above you, even the annoying people above you in the apartment who have heavy feet. Hey, the Lord is watching over that. If you're on a, if you're on a second or third floor apartment, walk softly. We've all been there before. We've all been there and we know what that's like. And, and, and save your uh, aerobics, you know, for the, the meeting room or something or the community room. I'm just working out some things here, right? Some, some past trauma I'm working out here with the whole church. Here's a, here, you, we know this is that as you re- read the Old Testament, as, as God's people entered the promised land, boundary lines were really important. Uh, it was really important that the Lord assign boundary lines to different places. It became ancestral land, and it became a place to establish uh, characteristics of people. And so now we know at different places we're at, there's different cultural characteristics that we sometimes create and sometimes assume. And the Lord is watching over these. That's why I love this song, Psalm 16, verse five through six. I pray this really every day. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. 
You hold my future. That's beautiful, but look at verse six. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. This is something to speak over your life. Like, I'm at a good place. I'm at a good place. Verse six, the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. There's a lot of movement in our culture. I'm, our church has benefited from you moving here at one point. And you may move again. And you may move houses within Henderson Mill, Gallatin, Goodlettsville, and all of that. But don't, don't exclude God from that movement. He's part of that. And your boundary lines are falling in good places. And you're, you're, you're seeing that the neighbors you have and the schools you're assigned to and the roadways you drive, the Lord, the Lord is watching over those. And this is a good place for this era of your life. It's a good place for you to find God's presence and to find community and to find relationships and to find challenges to help you grow as a leader and to find relaxing evenings where you can have that shalom of God and say, I'm safe and I'm good and I'm participating. And so God is in um, the alliances that we have even physically. There's a reason why you're in Nashville area. There's a reason why you're in North Nashville, Sumner County. The Lord is watching over that alliance. Here's the third alliance I want to mention today. Your vocational alliance. Your vocational alliance. And specifically, I'm talking about aligning with coworkers and colleagues. Work friends. It's just so weird to have work friends because you spend all this time with them and then you have your last day at work and typically don't ever talk to them again. Not, not typically, but you know how that works. Often you don't. But yet, you're spending so much time with them during the day. You're spending so much time with them. I want you to reset your perspective on your vocational alliances, your coworkers. Know that God is working in your vocation. You might say, well, what's a vocation? A vocation is more than a job. You know, a job is exchanging a talent or time for money. And thank God for jobs. And it's God's will. If you can work, it's God's will for you to work. I just see that all through the Bible. So some of you just needed to hear that today. What is your vocation? Your vocation is this. Vocation is how God calls you to serve him in the world. How God calls you to serve him in the world. And it's, it's yes, your job, but it's also the purpose of your job. And so if you're a real estate agent, you are serving God uh, through bringing people to homes and helping people with their homes. If you're a teacher, it's obvious that you're serving God that way. If you're a custodian, you're serving God by creating environments where things are clean and things are orderly. You're serving God through whatever whatever he's called you to do. I've I've had friends who have been positioned to be full-time volunteers. So they've served God through volunteering through their homeowners association, volunteering through their schools that their kids went to or their grandkids went to. Um, Here at our church, we know this is that if we don't have volunteers, if we paid everybody, we'd go broke, you know? So we, we, that's just, I know everybody wants to get paid by the church, but guys, that's just a simple principle of, of our church being everything God 
wants us to be. We can't pay everybody, so we try to pay leaders. And then we need volunteers. And so some of us are positioned to where maybe, maybe we can volunteer more at the church because God's using our job and our vocation. And our vocation is what we do with our job, but also what we do with our church. So it's not always attached to the money you receive, but it does remind us that our job the Lord is working in our job and he's working through our employment and he's working through that alliance. And so I want to ask you this. In business, beware of who you're aligned with. Beware of who you're aligned with. Beware of the type of character people have that you're going to attach your life to. And the Lord will show you what you need to know about that. In, in your vocation, students, your vocation is to be a student. Your vocation is to be a student musician. You may be in the band and going to Hendersonville High School. That's your vocation. Your vocation may to be to be an athlete at one time. So you're to glorify God through the band. You're to glorify God through the sports team. You're to glorify God through your attitude in the classroom. You're to glorify God through the way you mow the lawn. It's not lawn season, so there's no agenda on this, right? But by, by not doing what you have to do, but doing what above what is required to bring beauty to this world and to bring glory to God. Now think about Joseph when I think about vocation. Because Joseph was a natural leader, and he was called the leadership. I know we say everybody's a leader, and that is has elements of truth, but you know some people are 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 called to leadership, and I think that that we need to see the difference. Everyone is a leader, yes. Some people are called to leadership in every place that they're at, and I see that in Joseph, uh, Joseph of the Bible. Everywhere he went, he was a leader, and so reminding you quickly about. Joseph's life. He was betrayed by his brother. He was sold into slavery. He went down to Egypt. Uh, he, he worked for, you know, as a slave for someone named Potiphar. And then he became very successful, but he was tricked. And now we'll pick up the story in Genesis chapter 39, verse 20. And I want you to see uh, how God's hand was on Joseph's vocation. Potiphar had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. I want some of you to think, I just felt this as I was praying, thinking about the service. Some of you feel like your job is prison. You feel like you're in prison right now. I want you to be encouraged by Joseph today. If you feel, if maybe you've said, I feel like I'm stuck. I'm in prison and I'm sympathetic to what you're going through, but I'm also believing God has purpose even in the prison. So we now go to verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. Isn't that good? He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority. And he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden didn't bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And the Lord made everything that he did successful. Hey, I just want to speak this into your life. As a Jesus follower, as someone living in Christian ethics and in the, the Christian vocation, 
where you work, where you go to school, where you live should improve because you're there. And not because you're great, but because you know the God who is great. Quit complaining about your environment and change your environment. Get a better attitude. Get better focus. Come ready to bring your gift unto the Lord. And even if you're in prison, even if you've got a prison warden over you, you're going to make that prison better. Because the Lord's kindness is on you. The Lord's hand is on you. The Lord's anointing is on you to really change. So we're going to skip two chapters forward. And we're going to see a time that two people who knew, G, who knew Joseph had left prison and then forgotten about him. One of them was the chief cupbearer. Pharaoh had a dream. He didn't know what to do. Now we'll pick up in Genesis chapter 41, starting with verse 9. Then the, this was two years later, the scripture tells us this. Two years at least that Joseph was in prison. Then the chief cupbearer cup said to Pharaoh, Today I remember my faults. Pharaoh was angry with the servants and he put me and the chief baker in the custody of the captain of the guards. He and I had dreams on the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. Now a young Hebrew, and this is Joseph, a slave of the captain of the guards was with us there. We told him our dreams. He interpreted our dreams for us and each had its own interpretation. It turned out just the way he interpreted them to us I was restored to my position and the other man was hanged. And then Pharaoh sent for Joseph and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. Boy, I hope that's a good word for some of you. They quickly brought him from the dungeon. Let it be, Lord. He shaved, changed his clothes and went to Pharaoh. I am not able, to, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. Here it is. You've got a talent. You've got an ability that's been undiscovered. And I love Joseph's response. I'm not able to. Joseph answered Pharaoh. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I want you to see this as a metaphor for your vocation. What people see as a talent you have is actually a gift from God. What the world recognized as an exchange, we want your talent, we'll give you money. As believers, we see that, no, this is a gift from the Lord. Leadership, interpreting dreams for Joseph. He quickly gave God glory, even after he was promoted, quickly and dramatically. The Lord might be preparing some of you for a quick and dramatic um, promotion. Some of you, I say this in love, you need to get better in the prison because then you would be ruined in the palace. So if you cannot honor God with your vocation when you don't like your job, then how will you be quickly promoted and give your gift to the world? Hey, you can do it and God has that for you. Here's number four. For a recreational alliance. A recreational alliance. And we're, I'm categorizing categorizing these as our friends. Because who are our friends? Our friends are who we spend disposable time with. Sometimes family can be friends, and you, you know this, that your children can have a form of friendship with you, or your parents can have a form of friendship with you. But when we have disposable time, we, we spend time with those people who are our friends. And if you look at that word recreational, you put that slide back up just for a second, 
what happens in, re- in recreation is we are recreated. And so that's why recreation is important. It's important that you have hobbies and that you have a good rhythm in your life. Because you are recreated when you drop your guard and you're with those people that you love the most. And so that can be a great thing, but it can also be a dangerous thing. That's why the Apostle Paul said in our opening text, like, what partnership does light have with darkness? What partnership does Christ have with wickedness? Don't be unequally yoked. Don't put the ox and the donkey together because that won't work. And Jesus said, come to me, come to me. My yoke is easy. There's, my, we're, we're going somewhere. Jesus said, we're going to go somewhere together. So recreation means that you're recreated with those people. So the people that you spend that disposable time with, that you really drop your guard with, are recreating you. And that can be positive, but it also can be challenging. So we look earlier, in an earlier letter to the Corinthians church, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32 through 34, it's talking about the resurrection. By the way, 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the most underappreciated chapters in the Bible and one of the most important. So read that every once in a while, 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter, because it says this, is there a resurrection? Is there a resurrection? And within this argument, this statement comes up. If the dead are not raised, if there's no resurrection, look at this, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Now, Christians like to say this. Christians like to say in apologetics, even if heaven is not real and hell's not real, I'm glad I'm a Christian because of the meaning it's brought to my life. That, that's, a, that's a neat statement and a good statement. Paul disagrees. Paul said, hey, if the resurrection's not real, let's eat and drink and have fun because we're gonna die. And that's the spirit of the world. Let's get all of the pleasure. Let's get all of the pleasure we can out of the 90 to 100 years we may get because nihilism's coming. We just won't exist anymore. And then when our when we are forgotten by our great-grandchildren, we don't even exist anymore. This is depressing, isn't it? And it makes you realize why people make such stupid choices. I say that in love. Because if the resurrection is not real, then why have moral constraint? If the resurrection isn't real, why ever say no? If the resurrection isn't real, why defend a carefully crafted name or reputation? So this was the essence of the scripture. But then look at verse 33. Don't be deceived. Now he actually quotes a Greek poet. So this lets you know that this is a biblical case for quoting song lyrics of the day or quoting a movie or or, or things like that that we do that helps enhance wisdom. All wisdom comes from the Lord. And he quotes this Greek poet who says, bad company corrupts good morals. Now, that's, that's an ancient statement, but it's so true. If you're going to recreate, you're aligned with people who don't have your values, you're going to be recreated into their image, not recreated into God's image. Bad company corrupts good morals. Look at 34 now. Come to your senses and stop sinning. For some people are ignorant about God. And I, and I say this to your shame. Say, guys, gals, don't be dumb. Don't think you're going to be the one to get away with it. 
Don't, be, don't think you're going to be the one who can align themselves recreationally with people who have no fear of God, no respect for Scripture, who are not interested in the afterlife, not interested in the resurrection, but they're funny, but they're rich, but they're connected. But if you're aligning with them, your soul could be recreated in, in a way that the Lord is not creating we want to be kind. We want to be influential. We want to take people by the hand and pull them up. But we don't want people to pull us down into the pit of sin. Here's the fifth and the last one. Kingdom alliance. Kingdom alliance. And here I'm talking about church family. Church family. And you might say, well, isn't that friends? Yes. But bigger than that. Because usually we're friends, typically with people who are just like us. That's typically who we naturally become friends with. And I could talk more about that, but you understand that concept. The church family is supposed to be multi-generational. It's supposed to be multicultural. It's supposed to be people from different walks of life and interest groups. And when the church works best, the homeless man and the billionaire are sitting together. And, and, and this is this ideal that, that we want to be aligned with a wider body of Christ. Not just like, I just want to go to a church where people in their mid-40s and empty nesters are. Well, that's where I feel comfortable because I'm 47 and I'm an empty nester. Right? So I'm looking for people in their 20s. I'm looking for people in their 60s. You know, we have a church. We have... Uh, we have Really, we're covered. As a mid-sized church, we cover all those age groups. But you understand the concept is that as a multi-generational, multicultural, multi, you know, a, a, a all walks of life, the church family really makes a difference. And I want to close with this, Acts 2.42. Because Acts 2.42 is what we name our small groups, our small groups after. And we've become so familiar with that term, we don't share it with you enough. The early church. They devoted themselves. Let the word devoted sink in for a second. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which today is scripture, because scripture hadn't been fully established yet. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And if you read that contextually after that, growth influence. Many, many things happened after that. And so God's calling you to reset your kingdom alliance. Reset all of those alliances. This is a chance for you to say, God, I want your perspective. I want you, your leadership, Lord. I want you to lead and guide me. God, I want you to breathe upon my vocation, breathe upon my relationship with colleagues and coworkers. And so I don't disregard them as just part of the economic system. I see them as gifts of God. Breathe upon my apartment, my condo, my home, my neighborhood. Breathe upon 386, the, the highway 386, and know that there's souls on this highway, that I'm traveling down this pathway with people. They may be speeding. They may be cutting me off. But they're in this space that we share of all humanity, of all the years the world has existed. We're sharing this 
pathway. We're sharing this space that you're in that, Lord. Breathe upon Breathe upon that physical alliance. Breathe upon that vocational alliance. Breathe upon my recreation, God. Recreate me with friends that have values that will not corrupt me, but will help me move in to the places you've called me to. And breathe upon my church alliance so that I'm not just a consumer Christian only looking for my needs. It's okay to look to have your needs met, but that can't be the only thing you look at. You're also giving, giving to the community.